Japanese stocks appear to be soaring. But what if they're soaring because people are fleeing China? The Nikkei index is the highest it's been in a very long time. In fact, it's not far off its all-time high set way back in the 1980s and early 1990s at the top of the bubble. Maybe that's not a good sign either. But again, what if that's the flip side of people fleeing China rather than the upside of Japan emerging after all these many decades lost in the economic wilderness? The implications are much different than they would be if Japanese stocks were something like the S&P 500. But as I mentioned yesterday, once you look into these stock market indexes, the picture oftentimes changes from what you are led to believe. Japanese stocks soaring should be a good thing about at least Japan, if not the rest of the world, being able to avoid all the downside cases that seem to be plaguing bond markets, including the Japanese market, as we'll see. So... The Nikkei, if it is because Japan is moving in the right direction, that's obviously a good sign, not just for Japan, but for other people around the rest of the world, especially in light of the struggles in China. Nikkei positive in that respect would mean Japan is weathering the potential downside from China. However, if the Nikkei instead is moving higher because people are fleeing China and only looking for a safe harbor to park some funds while they figure everything out, that's a very different picture that emerges. To begin with, Japanese stocks have been rallying for well over a decade here. In fact, you go back to October of 2012 to find the bottom. And October of 2012 was not some random month on the calendar. That was when former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe said, I'm going to unleash my three arrows and put Japan back on the path toward prosperity or at least something resembling prosperity. Abenomics, the three arrows, one of the primary arrows was supposed to be quantitative easing, or quantitative and qualitative easing, QQE. They added a Q to the QEs because they had done so many QEs by that point, they needed to change it up at least in name, in, at least they needed to change the name up a little bit. But as stocks started to move, in fact, there was a big move from October 2012 that got everything started, had to question what was actually happening. Because as the stock market began its now more than decade rebound, the Japanese economy didn't actually change at all. We see stock markets divorced from economic fundamentals. The Japanese economy did not emerge from its moribund lost decade state, its deflationary mindset. Instead, it would languish on and on. In fact, it would continue to hit more downturns. In fact, a recession at the end of 20, 2018, moving forward even before we got to COVID. And yet, the Nikkei seemed unconcerned by all of it, continuing to move really in, in closer approximation to Jap Japan's yen than the actual economy. Psychology of QQE, not the positive impact in, the real, in any real sense from QQE. So already we have to question what it is Japanese stocks are telling us to begin with. It doesn't seem to relate to the Japanese economy or the global economy, which, again, is not unusual. Stock markets are beauty contests. They have nothing to do, very little to do, with liquidity or fundamentals. And in the case of Japan, of course, the Nikkei index, as, long, as well as other Japanese stocks, have a more direct line, not just psychology, but we can't forget the Bank of Japan also buys ETFs of equities too. So 
is it really Japanese stocks reflecting the situation in Japan or are we seeing something else? Are Japanese stocks rising because the situation in Japan is improving? Well, the Bank of Japan would like us to believe that, though more and more it seems like they don't really believe it themselves. The Bank of Japan just met, it just finished up its two-day meeting, and once again they refrained from raising interest rates after setting the stage all of last year, saying the conditions were ripe for ending the negative interest rate policy, getting done with QQE for the first time in over a decade, really moving Japan forward into the place it's been trying to get to for our entire adult lifetime at this point. Essentially, we don't remember what it was like for Japan to be something moving toward normal. But the Bank of Japan, after setting all of those expectations last year, monkeying around with yield, yield curve control, making statements to the press, releasing rumors that were clearly released by Bank of Japan officials, setting the stage for rate hikes, December they chickened out, and now here we are in January, they're also chickening out again. But they keep saying, well, it looks like Japan's economy's on track. Governor Wada just, just this morning actually said, we were able to confirm that the economy is moving in line with our projections on inflation. Our core core inflation forecast is at 1.9%, very close to our 2% target. This was the case in October, but it happened again this time after close scrutiny. And this is the biggest factor that made us more convinced than before that the likelihood of sustainably achieving our price target is gradually heightening. But, Wade added, it's hard to quantify how close we've come. In fact, he's basically being disingenuous here because if you look at Japanese consumer prices, what you see is what you see elsewhere around the world. They had been largely stable. The CPI, the headline overall CPI, had been largely stable, about 3%, for most of 2023, right up until the end. And at the end of 2023, Japanese consumer prices, like a lot of those around the rest of the world, suddenly became more disinflationary than they had been. We've certainly seen that in the United States as well as in places in Europe. Don't forget China and deflation. We'll get back to China in just a minute, though. But Japanese consumer prices, same thing with core consumer prices and the core, core consumer prices. They had been steady for most of last year, and then suddenly they started to decelerate. Now, what Bank of Japan officials are hoping, though they're somewhat skeptical because of their, their own history, they're hoping that consumer prices gently decelerate down to around the 2% target and then level off there. But what history has shown, what history has taught Bank of Japanese officials, is that we go, they go through these false dawn periods where it looks like things are going in the right direction and gentle economic slowdown becomes more of a problematic slowdown. That in the case of 2023-2024, while they hope consumer prices gently glide to their 2% target, they're also well aware that more, than, more often than not, Japan experiences more disappointment where, in this case, consumer prices don't just gently go down to the target and stay there. They're likely, there's a good chance they continue to decelerate along with everything else around the world, globally synchronized and in this case, which would mean they miss their target. 
Consumer prices continue to go further downward because the economy is not holding up. And there is more and more reason to believe the second case is the more likely case than just magically Goldilocks hitting their 2% target and sticking there for the foreseeable future. We've got producer prices in Japan that year over year are now at zero already. They're threatening to become negative. Deflation in producer prices. And that's, again, another boost in the downside case over the last couple months of 2023. Economic statistics like GDP. GDP was at least appearing to be terrific in the first part of last year, not so much in the second part. The third quarter GDP, which are the latest statistics, a substantial decline in the third quarter, led by consumer spending, especially real consumer spending. Industrial production has not been able to increase. In fact, that is looking weaker than not because the global trade recession keeps impacting Japan in a negative way. So while WADA says we think that the consumer price target will be met and consumer prices will, will hit 2% and stay there, he also knows in the back of his mind that there's all of these challenges that are, that are continuing to appear around the rest of the world, as well as Japan's own history. Every time they come close, they think they've got it, they realize they don't. It's one false dawn after another. So they're sweating here, this disinflationary trend that's rising across the rest of the world because the economy's weaker and weaker. They're sweating this disinflation trend and hoping it levels off, but also wary that maybe it doesn't. So how does Japanese stocks fit into this other situation? On the one hand, it seems like the Nikkei screaming toward its highest in 30 years, moving up toward an all-time high, would seem to be in line with Japan making that, that soft landing connection, finally hitting its target, finally moving in out of the lost decades and into a, at least a more normal type of situation. But Japan's bond market actually isn't buying it. The Japanese JGB market had been saying up until October of last year, maybe there'll be some rate hikes, maybe things are moving in the right direction, this rejiggering of yield curve control, perhaps that's having an influence, maybe there's something to it. But ever since October and really November, Japanese government bonds have rallied along with the rest of the global bond market around the world, which suggests more skeptical positioning about Japan as well as everywhere else than thinking about rate hikes from the Bank of Japan. The, the JGB market is more and more betting against rate hikes because the economy, not just consumer prices, continues to turn toward the other direction. And that other direction looks more and more like where China already is, let alone where China might actually be going. So when we step back and look at the Nikkei stock index, a couple things really stand out here. Not only the longer term correlation with the Japanese yen and QQE psychology, not money printing, there's also the, the nearer term correlation or inverse correlation with China and Chinese stocks. So you put the chart up of the Nikkei index against the Shanghai exchange, for example, what you see is that a couple things really stand out. The Nikkei, Japanese stocks, and Chinese stocks really diverged in May. Not just any day in May, but a specific point. 
May 8th. After May 8th, which, by the way, was when CNY started to really get weaker from that point on, Shanghai stocks start to start their, their current leg lower. At the same time, suddenly you see the Nikkei surge. And over the next month, while Chinese stocks were weaker and CNY was plummeting, the Nikkei was surging. Surging in a way we haven't seen anywhere the last several years. That already raises the possibility People were fleeing China because China's reopening wasn't working and it appeared as if the situation was getting more and more out of control. Fleeing China, and rather than going to Hong Kong like, like many had done in the past, Hong Kong is being judged as too close and too inside of China, perhaps people looking for a safe harbor and shelter outside of China looked to Tokyo and said, this might be our least worst option. And then we see this again. So while Japanese stocks took a bit of a breather after that initial run-up in uh, May and June of last year, they started to surge again, another rally, November into December. As Chinese stocks, the situation in China looks even more precarious. And then the big one, another big chunk, higher in the Nikkei, lower in Shanghai and, and Chinese stocks, and Hong Kong too, January 3rd and 4th. So the Shanghai index starts to plummet from early January onward, and the Nikkei, you can see on the chart here, suddenly surges once again, raising the possibility that Nikkei Japanese stocks aren't rising because Japan is doing better, but because China is doing much worse. And there's, of course, every reason to believe the latter part, which is the Chinese situation. Even though the media had tried to sell us that China had turned a corner because of all this brilliant government stimulus the Chinese had unleashed along the last half of last year, even the mainstream media in the West has given up on China turning a corner, especially after the latest round of macroeconomic statistics, GDP, industrial production, again, another atrocious retail sales report, and all the rest. Home prices down in December by the biggest monthly decline since February 2015. Basically, everything that China has tried to do to stabilize the economy, the financial system, the property sector, none of it is working. So on the one hand, it's very easy to believe that people would be fleeing China. That part is not hard to buy whatsoever. And there's more reason to believe that, that there's every reason to believe that's not going to change anytime soon. So exiting China seems like a good thing, even though it's very expensive to do so right now. The, the swap rates, for example, swap rates are hugely positive for anyone swapping from dollars into yuan because dollar shortage. Spare dollars are in huge supply or in huge demand here. According to Bloomberg, their calculations, the one-year dollar-yuan swap points in China's onshore market remain deeply negative in January 2024 at about minus 2,400 pips and hit minus 2,700 pips back in September. These are the lowest uh, swap rates since the global financial crisis. What that means is spare dollars. If you got spare dollars, you can make a lot of money lending them to China, who really, really wants dollars at this particular moment in time for what should be obvious reasons. The flip side of that, though, is that it's really expensive to acquire dollars in order to get the hell out of China. If you're a Japanese company and you want to bring funds home, you were invested in Chinese stocks or something like that, you want to get out of China, it's pretty expensive to do so. Yet, I think that's what we're seeing anyway, and it makes a lot of sense. 
Money is flooding, fleeing from China, flooding other places. Money is leaving China and heading toward parts unknown. And it, see, it stands to reason that we would see Japanese stocks benefit from China's decline because that's close enough. It's, it's like Tokyo is the new Hong Kong here. Just a place to go to park funds while we sort everything else. That's the implication that we see in the Nikkei. And because it's already divorced from Japanese fundamentals in this rally that goes back to 2012, it would make sense that Japanese stocks are telling us something that has nothing to do with the economy turning a corner in a positive direction. Again, that seems to be the common theme around these parts. So even though it's expensive to get funds out of China, you got to believe that people are trying to get the hell out of China. And the inverse correlation, particularly those two surges I showed you on the chart between the Shanghai Exchange and the Nikkei 225, very compelling evidence that in leaving China, some of those funds are finding their way to Tokyo as a safe harbor to, to sit out the next little while to see how things progress. But is Japan's gain here because Japan is doing well? Or is it really just about getting out of China and finding some place to go, a, a port in the storm, a safe port in the storm here to wait out the, the oncoming, onrushing Chinese gale? And the question seems to be in some part answered by the Bank of Japan's reluctance to take that next step because they've seen this before. They've seen false dawn after false dawn. Every time they think they're this close to achieving exactly what they set out to achieve, it's as if the euro dollar rug gets yanked out from under them and they end up with another disappointing period. And the bond market in Japan continues to price the latter rather than the former. The idea that Japan has left its deflationary mindset and its lost decades, that's not what we're seeing in Japanese government bonds. So the Nikkei index is surging in a way we haven't seen in a long time, but there's every reason to question why that might be. If you didn't happen to catch yesterday's video, I took a look at other stock exchanges and indexes that are actually hitting record highs, including the S&P 500. What is the S&P 500 telling us? Well, check out the video linked below me. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University members and subscribers. And until next time, take care.